Hey podcast and welcome to episode 7 of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Today I'm talking to Milo. Now Milo is number 7 on this year's series of SAS Who Dares Wins which is currently airing on channel 4. This was a, it really was a good interview. I've literally just got off the phone with Milo. We talk about so much. We talk about bereavement. Um, we talk about him completing his Ironman, about what it was like going on the program, about mindset. Um, honestly, I think you'll really, really, really love this episode. It was it was a really good one. Um, dive in. If you've got any questions at all after the episode, then just drop me an email. It's matt at mtb.fitness or drop me a DM on Instagram. And I would also really, really appreciate it if you just left a review of the podcast and subscribed as well if you want to hear more. But honestly, I think I've got a brilliant one for you today. I hope you really enjoy it. See you on the other side. So, hey podcast, welcome to the episode. Today I'm talking to Milo. Now Milo is number seven on the Channel 4 program, SAS Who Dares Wins. So I've been following the program for, I think it's been four seasons, three seasons, I'm sure Milo will correct me. Um, and it is wicked, if you've not seen it before, you should definitely check it out. I find that I watch it at nine o'clock on a Sunday night and then I just want to go out running straight away or drop down and do some press-ups, like it's a really inspiring, motivating program. Um, so the way that it works for those people listening, if you don't know about it, is there's a big group of people. Is it 30 people, Milo, or 50? 25. 25, there we go. So there's 25 people, uh, everyday people who all apply to go on the show and then they're basically taken through a mock SAS selection type thing and then every week some people are knocked out who can't make it or you can hand your band in as you go along. So Milo is on the show, he's been on the show, obviously it's finished now uh, and you'll see him on TV um, every weekend. So yeah, Milo, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. We were just chatting just then, you said you're down, uh, you live down in Devon, you do road cycling, don't you? I do, yes, that's correct. So, how often do you tend to get out on the road bike? Um, in the summer, I tend to get out between three four times a week, um, depending on what my schedule is like. But in the winter, uh, I spend a lot of time on the uh, Smart Turbo Trainer. Yeah. It's a Cyclops hammer, it's a good bit of kit. Nice one. You were saying that you did some Zwift, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very competitive, so I like the racing side of things and that. And uh, because it's a smart trainer, it's a good simulation for, you know, a proper race course. Um, yeah. When you're going up a hill, the intensity gets uh, difficult on the trainer. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good fun. Yeah, I think especially in our weather, because we, we get the worst weather, don't we, in England. I was literally just out riding this afternoon, and it was sideways, 50-mile-an-hour wind, fog, so you could only see two metres ahead of you. Um, and, you know, obviously, it's still good to get out in that weather, but when you've got the option to go on a smart trainer like that and just hammer it out and get competitive, I think it's a really good idea. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, for road cyclists, it's probably a bit more dangerous to get out in difficult weather, but obviously, if you're uh, yeah. on a, a mountain bike... Yeah. <laughs> You know, it'd have to, the weather would have to be pretty bad to stop you from getting out and about. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's a lot. You're right. It's a lot more dangerous on a road bike because little bits of ice and whatnot, which you don't even notice on a mountain bike. Obviously, you can be off and have a broken, broken hip, broken neck, can't you, on a road bike? Um, <laughs> us mountain bikers are lucky. Quite a lot of my followers, actually. I think it's about 30% of my followers, something like that, road bike as well as mountain bike. Um, so they'll definitely be able to relate to that. Um, have you ever done any mountain biking? Yeah, I have done. Um, I used to do a bit of downhill with some friends. Um, oh, great. I wasn't particularly any good, but I enjoyed it. 
That's the main thing. Um, yeah, the, down where I live in Plymouth, there's a, some good areas you can actually do downhill in. Um, there's two well-known centres called uh, Gorton, which yeah. is around the Tavistock area, and also a place called Woodlands. Okay. I haven't actually been there myself, but I know some friends uh, absolutely love it out there. So. And they're proper trail centres, aren't they? Like we've, I think you were saying they've got black black runs and whatnot there. Black runs, yeah. Um, is it, I think it starts from red run up to black. I right. Think. I'm not not too sure. I'd have to double check, but yeah. So what made you choose to get more into road cycling rather than mountain biking then? Did you do both to start with? Or? Well, um, a few years ago, I was, well, I put on a bit of weight. I was about 13 and a half stone and I just thought, looked in the mirror and I was like, I need to change this. You know, I was getting like proper depressed in that. Right. So um, I challenged myself to a triathlon and uh, the triathlon was Ironman Wales. Okay. Yeah. Just a small one then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm that kind of person. I, I try and, you know, go for best of the best and see how I can do. But Amazing. Um, yeah. Nah, so ever since then, I, I bought a road bike. Um, I was getting out and about as much as I could. Just started to love it. And uh, obviously, experience on the mountain bike gave me a, a decent enough base on the, on the legs to, to get out and really go for it. So yeah. um, I knew I had to ride a bike anyway. Um, so yeah, I just, just started loving it and uh, training and training and getting better and better. And I was just in a real positive mindset. Amazing. So were you, obviously you put that weight on, were you into fitness before you got up to, I think you said 13 and a half stone, were you into fitness before that? Or was that like your first kind of time where you were like, right, yeah, I'm getting into fitness now? Um, I did play football a lot uh, growing up play for a local Saturday team yeah so that's about as far as it gets fitness wise um, right. other than that it was a bit of mountain biking here and there with some friends but to really get into fitness I had to drop a lot of things like that and uh, just mm -hmm. focus solely on on training and and like nutrition and things like that so what made you choose an Ironman then rather than just saying right I'm going to do a sprint triathlon then I'm going to do a triathlon and build up because you'll have to remind me of the distances but it's an epic distance isn't it for all three it is. Um, unfortunately, I, I have a bit of a, a mindset where it's all or nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> I, I can't go to the pub and have one beer. <laughs> You'll you be know? in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I come back nights out and because I live with my mother, she's like, oh, you always get in such states. Just, <laughs> just can't help it. So I'm, be I'm, I'm better off staying away from the pub and uh staying on my bike that's for sure <laughs> yeah just doing extreme distances so what distance is it what's the uh swim run and ride distance for the ironman as a whole it's uh 140 miles right um, the, the swim is 2.4 miles yeah then you transition into uh the bike which is 112 miles nice and then uh you transition into a run and you run uh, a full marathon right amazing so how did you how did you find training from it then so you'd obviously done a bit of mountain biking and a bit of bit of playing football and then suddenly you were doing an Ironman how long did you give yourself to get fit for it I didn't actually give myself that long I didn't really go into it um as you should I mean people who do Ironmans are supposed to train themselves for a good solid 12 months before the race yeah uh, I started about six months before the race <laughs> nice um but just just hit it quite hard. I just uh, found myself getting into a decent routine. So obviously I got a full time job. Um, yeah. Sometimes I was doing an hour before work, 
coming back uh, an hour after work. And then on the weekends, I'd get up at like 5 a.m. and go for a 50, 60 mile ride. Yeah. And I'd get home, at a re- you know, not too late so I can spend time with my girlfriend and things like that. So it's, you know, it had to be um, scripted, you know, it had to be in a way that would work for me. Yeah. So, yeah. And then how did you find it on the day then when you actually turned up to the event and did it? How did it all go? It went really well. Um, I, was, I remember on the bike, well, I, I, had, a, I had a nice swim, uh, not too hard. I was thinking <laughs> Just a like, nice two and a half mile swim. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit cold at first, being uh, seven o'clock in the morning in Wales. <laughs> yeah. Um, but see, I remember seeing some big jellyfish as well. Oh, wow. Amazing. Big, big barrel jellyfish, which made me a bit nervous, but... I bet that made you swim a little bit faster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you were saying, so you started off with a swim, mate. You were telling me how it all went. Yep, I had a nice swim, a uh, bit of a warm-up. Treat it as like a journey as opposed to a race. Yeah. Uh, some people were going all guns blazing. And okay. uh, before you know it, you know, on the bike, I was coming past them and you just see them flagging. Ah, that's really interesting. Was that a conscious thing or was that something... You know, did you did you go into it thinking I'm going to take my time, I'm going to see it as a journey, or was that something that yeah? How did yeah. that come about? It was, it was yeah. To be honest, it was mindset. I wanted to finish the race. I wasn't going for a time. I just wanted to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Yeah. Uh, so after the swim, I went on the bike. Um, I think around mile sixty or seventy, I was starting to feel a bit of cramp in my calves. And I uh, never normally had to deal with cramp before. I'm co- normally quite good with keeping myself hydrated, things like that. But because I was concentrating so much on getting around the course, I wasn't drinking properly and okay. my, my, my nutrition on the bike wasn't very good. Starting to cramp and I was for the next half an hour to an hour, it just wasn't Ooh. going very well. So I was getting a bit bit worried thinking, oh, I can't be doing this. It's, you know, I've got another 60 miles to go yet, let alone a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> So I just got loads and loads and loads of drink down me um, with, you know, salt tabs and things. And then uh, in about 20 minutes to half an hour, I was just felt like a new life into me. And I just thought, right, let's go and smash it. Wow. So, yeah, I kept on uh, drinking and that throughout the, the remainder of the bike course and uh, got to the bike course. And um, I just got undressed, put my running shoes on. You know, I was in no rush. Yeah, and one of the, one of the guys came over to me, and uh, he saw in my face. You know, I was a little bit nervous about the marathon coming up. Just put his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, "Just get out there and do your best, young lad. You'll do fine." Ah, well. So I thought that's quite nice. You know, pressure's off a bit. Um, he said, "You've got seven hours to complete the run, so you know, feel you need to walk. You need to walk." Yeah. So I just went out there, nice pace. I think I was doing about nine and a half minute miles all the way around uh got to about mile 18 19 and i could feel myself hitting a wall it's just your body can only take so much and this is where i I failed to prepare only training you know six months prior to the actual race yeah i just started walking a bit and i had to walk a whole mile just getting drink down me again and getting food down you my body was so broken that it was just crying out for food and and uh, like drink but because I felt so sick it was hard to keep it down so I just had to walk and just slowly take bit by bit from a banana bit by bit from a gel I even had uh, a bit of coke 
and uh, after walking that mile, I just felt life come into me again. I just thought, you know, it's 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 a path of like self discovery, and you really really find out who you are and what you're capable of. And I was thinking, I'm 12 hours in. You know, I've just wanna just wanna quit, just wanna give up. But just your body just keeps on going. It just keeps on going. As long as you've got that right, right mindset that you're going to finish, you know, you will finish. If you tell yourself you're going to get to that finish line, you will get there. It's painful, but, you know, it, it, it's doable. And I presume you finished then. <laughs> yeah, finished. Uh, How did it feel? Um, I celebrated for about 20 seconds. <laughs> and then I was just like, get me home. It was so ill. I was so ill, honestly. I must have burnt about eight to 9,000 calories that day. Jesus. And, you know, you, all you've been eating is gels, uh, you know, protein bars, that kind of thing. It's not, yeah. you know, your body's just shutting down. But now, apart from that, it was a, you know, a massive achievement. And I'm so proud I managed to get myself around the course. No, it is. It sounds amazing. Well done. Thank you. How old are you now? 25. And how? Oh, I didn't realize. So, a uh, year apart. When's your birthday? Uh, 19th of the 3rd, 93. At the March. Ah, nice. So, I'm uh, 22nd of November, 92. So, what are we? Six months apart. Um, yeah. So, when did you do your first Ironman? How old? Oh, not your first Ironman. When, when did you do this Ironman? How old were you? I did it in 2016. So okay. I was 23. 23? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. No, it's an amazing achievement. Really, really amazing achievement. I had a one-to-one client a few years ago who was doing Ironman, and the amount of training he had to do with it was just ridiculous. Like I did the strength and conditioning side of it with him, so I was training him in the gym, and he'd done, I think, four or five before, so he knew exactly what he was doing on the running side of it, but he was just training for hours and hours and hours every day. Uh, like you said, he'd get up and train in the morning before work, and he'd get home from work, and then he'd train again, and it's, the sheer volume you've got to do is immense. That's it. A lot of sacrifice with that, so hats off to him. Yeah, 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 definitely hats off to you as well. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> how did you end up applying to SAS Who Dares Wins then? Was this your first time you'd applied? It was, yeah, first time I applied. Uh, my, my brother, uh, being ex-army, he always knew I wanted to join the Marines when I was, you know, ever since a young age. Um, I never really tried that hard at school because I always knew as soon as I finished school, bang, I was going to apply for the Marines. And, you know, that was the, the route I wanted to go. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, as you know, watching the program, uh, Travis, my eldest brother, was killed in Afghanistan back in 2009. And uh, it's a difficult moment for me because it was in the year of my GCSEs. And because I wasn't really trying, you know, fool me, because I wasn't really trying that hard to do as well as I possibly could, or you know, consciously I knew all I needed was five GCSEs, grade C or above. Yeah. Which kind of put me in a bit of a difficult situation because I think, well, I can't join the forces now because you know I thought it'd be very selfish for me to do that after seeing and, and you know what my family have been through. Mm. I thought, you know, where do I go from now? I've, you know, I'm, I'm in no good mindset to do these GCSEs so anyway I just tried the best I could and and uh you know ended up getting a few B's and things like that and ended up getting an apprenticeship but but anyway uh back 
that's, that's, no, 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 not at all. I'm, uh, I'm listening. That's amazing that you still managed to get bees when that happened at the time. I know a lot of people would just not take them. Like that's, that's amazing. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so anyway, I ended up getting an apprenticeship with uh, Southwest War, the water company, and I've been there ever since. And uh, for those whole seven years of being for Southwest War, it's always been in the back of my mind. I've, you know, I've deep regret that I never actually joined up despite yeah. of what happened to my brother because I, I feel like I've negated my own dream which is so frustrating but thinking about it it's it was probably the right thing I, you know probably the right thing I should have done back going back then because the war with Afghanistan and those things were, were still going on at the time um but anyway this uh SASC Des Wins come up uh on an uh, advertisement and my brother said ah oh, you should join up mate you know every time you, you say you wanted to join the marines you think you've got what it takes <laughs> bit of brotherly banter sign up <laughs> see if you got it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway there's me i was thinking about it all day uh you know not really concentrating on work thinking about applying come to about one o'clock in the morning i went start it let's do it <laughs> so it's like the next best thing really for me um and uh, there was a, a series of processes you had to go through in order to get onto the show. And what are those? Can you talk about those? Yep. Um, the first one is an initial application to see if um, you know you qualify for what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, after that, I was asked to go to Newcastle, uh, which is like a, a fitness tryout, and uh, you get to do um, different things. And they measure up, you know, how well they think you do in the program. So, for example, you had to do 50 press-ups in two minutes, um, 50 sit-ups in two minutes. Um, you had to do a bleep test. You had to do uh, carry two jerry cans full of water. I think it's about 40 kilograms in total, the two combined. You have to carry them 100 meters and you also have to do a weight test. So you have to lift um, four different sets of weights onto a one and a half meter platform. So okay. I think that's kind of simulating you taking on and off your Bergen, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, <laughs> sounds relatively easy, but while you're there, they've got um, trainers or ex-military people who are constantly shouting at you in that while you're doing these things. Oh, okay. So I think they're trying to, you know, know you a bit more if you can do fitness while being showered at and things like that. Yeah. So it wasn't as easy as it sounds. Um, the bleep test was probably my strongest part because um, I've done a lot I'm of running a... and a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, I can't remember what I got. I think I got like a 14.6 or something. And then I, <laughs> wow. I ended up stopping. But the, the day before, I actually went to Newcastle to do this fitness test. I'd done uh, the Plymouth Triathlon, so. <laughs> nice. So uh, you made it easy on yourself then. You thought, yeah, I'm going to rest up for a week and give it my, give it my best shot. <laughs> yeah. So I was, was kind of like, I was kind of like, you know, a bit on active recovery, if you want to call it. But no, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was challenging. Um, I see where they do it because it obviously whittles out the week. Yeah. Um, but after that, if you pass all those things they're asking for, um, you go and do an interview. 
and I had to sit in an interview with um, one of the directors and they ask you questions about your yeah, similar to what we're doing really um, about your past you know different questions about have you got any brothers and sisters how old are you just get to know you really and see if you're you know if you can talk in front of a camera I think that's that's the vibe I was getting from anyway yeah that was the director of channel four is that right I or believe so. Of the... Okay, got you. Yeah, so it's like um, not someone on like the military side, somebody on more the TV side of things. Yes. Got I, you. I don't think they're actually from Channel 4. I think it's from Minu. I think Minu deal oh, with yeah. the program and then it gets obviously sent to Channel 4 and then they have the final say on things. Oh, okay, got you. Yeah. So after that, it was just a case of um, them bringing you to let you know what's next. Um, luckily, I passed the interview and the fitness tests, and uh, you have to go to a psychological test where you sit down in a room with um, a therapist, and they they ask you questions about would you be okay with this? You know, just just to get to know about what you're scared of, what you're afraid of. Yeah. Um, you know how well you think you're doing the show, what you want to do after the show. Um, how will it affect you, your family, that kind of thing? Just to okay. see if you know you're not going to go off the rails if yeah. anything bad happens. And then after that, you do something called a CPEX test, which I'm sure you probably know what that is. Yeah, carry on, yeah. CPEX test. I don't actually know what it stands for, but I know it, it measures your um, oxygen efficiency um, from your heart to around your body. Yeah. And also your lung capacity, I think. I think they kind of tie in together yeah so how did you get on with that then um i think my my vo2 max came back as 58 yeah i don't, don't think that's too high but um you you know you, you have to work for that i would say yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah it it was it was interesting it was a good experience because people pay you know five six hundred pounds to have that test yeah of course and you were getting it for for free yeah they they sent me the the test results as well, so I can see the line graph and things. So you, you sit on a, a watt bike, and they just get you to you know they ramp up the wattage yeah. over a course of like well until failure really. Yeah. I think I got up to like three hundred twenty three hundred thirty watts. Yeah, nice. And then I ended up failing, but you know it's it's, it's like a, a long steady process where they ramp up the watts. Yeah, they build it up gradually, don't they? And is it each minute? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, got you. And then what was next then? After that, um, it was a case of just, you know, sit and wait. Um, I wait, I think I heard about three weeks later, uh, they gave me a call and they were like, oh, Milo, it was a Friday. She goes, oh, I, I want to ring you before just to let you know you've made it on SSU Dead Wins. And I was just... <laughs> I was just speechless, mate. My my heart was going. It was <laughs> like happy imagine. and yeah, it was like happy and sad at the same time because I was like, oh my god, you know, I've always wanted to do this, but then there's, a, you know, the other half of me is like, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, sunshine. So do you mean happy and sad, or do you mean like happy and nerves, or was it sadness? No, happy and nerves, of course. Okay. Yeah, I got you. You're like ridiculously excited, but then it all becomes real. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then how long do you have then? So they told you that you're going to be on the show. How long is the period before you start recording? Six weeks. Right, nice. So they don't give you long then, do they, to hammer your training? No, they don't. Um, I, I imagine your training went into overdrive then, did it? 
It should have done. <laughs> it should have done, but um, I, I could have done more. But I, I think I did enough. I'm one of those people who need a decent recovery before I do next my next session. Okay. So I would nail it for one session, have a nice recovery, even if it takes two days, three days, and then I make sure I'm 100% for the next training session. Okay. Because um, you just tie yourself out, and I think, you know, kind of have to learn who you are, what you do, yeah. and what, you know, how, how the best way you can train is. Yeah, of course. And now, what was it like then when you flew off to Chile then? What was it like when you when you started the, the first day? Well, we didn't actually know where we were going. Okay. So they didn't tell us where we were going, what to expect, anything like that. So, um, you know, I'm like, what do I pack in my suitcase? She goes, oh, just bring your boots, bring some underwear and passport and money. And that's all you need. Wow. So we go to uh, London, Heathrow. And uh, we find out we're flying to Madrid. So we fly to Madrid, we think, surely. You think, oh, this is going to be warm. <laughs> yeah, I think, oh, maybe maybe we're going in the mountains in Spain or something. Yeah. As soon as we got to Spain, in Madrid, we had a, a transfer to Chile, Santiago. And we're like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> obviously they've got the Andes Mountains over there. and Yeah. Um, it's, it gets extremely cold. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, mind games, as soon as you get to the airport, thinking about what it's going to be like, where we're going to be staying. And yeah, it's just, it's all a great experience, to be honest. Yeah. So what were you doing on the way out then? Were you kind of like eyeing everybody else up or were you in your own head or was it just like really chilled out and like banter? Meeting them, naturally you do kind of uh, weigh yourself up with everyone else. You kind of, you know, first impressions kind of thing, you know, I think it's natural for humans to have, you know, first judgments. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, obviously don't voice them until you get to know people. Yeah, of course. And uh, just spoke. I, I kind of kept myself to myself. I'm quite a shy person when it comes to meeting people in large groups. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we just flew over, kind of trying to stay focused. You know, you got this, you got this one. Come on, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, just stick to your guns and you'll be all right. Um, <laughs> well- so, were any of your first impressions right? So obviously you sat with these 25 other people and naturally you're right. You make judgments of like, he's going to be good, she's going to be good, he's going to be no good. Like, I know I do it when I watch the programme and you probably shouldn't, but you, you can't help it. <laughs> um, were your judgments right or wrong on who you thought would do good and bad? Wrong. Whether? Yeah, never judge a book by its cover. Have you got an example of, obviously I know you can't name names, that's fine, but do you have an example of like how you looked, so did you look at the big muscle guy and he did worse than you thought, or well, why were they wrong? Yeah, um, everyone obviously did well to, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, number 23, I think, Esme. She's about five foot two, five foot, I'm not sure how, how tall she is, but she's small, and uh, she she's this petite petite thing and I was I was interested in her because I was like there must be a reason why she's here you know she's not one of these you know big strong women you just you know she just I just thought wonder how she's gonna do yeah and you know what she surprised me out of everyone she was so strong it was unbelievable I just didn't know what I did just yeah grit determination everything she had it wow 
anyway, I got to know her a bit, and um, turns out when she was 18, 19, she um, went through surgery, and uh, she couldn't walk afterwards. Oh, my lord. Yeah, so she had to learn to walk again and that, and uh, she's a yeah true inspiration to many women. Good lord, me, yeah, sounds it. Yeah, me, yeah. You know, and if she can do that, then gosh, you know, anyone could do anything, you know, within reason. But That's unbelievable. I imagine she'll probably come up on one of the episodes, won't she, with such an amazing story like that? She will, yeah, definitely. Yeah, wow. I bet it was really inspiring for you, wasn't it, being surrounded by people like that? It was, um, yeah, and I, I like to think I'm a real humble guy and, you know, meeting def- it's not about me, it's about getting to know everybody else, their pasts, why they're there, you know, it is such, such a great, humble experience. Yeah, of course, no, it sounds like it. So what, when you were doing, obviously, I've watched the, I mean, three episodes so far, two episodes, however many they've been, I've been watching every one when they've been on, and obviously it looked tough, you've been up in the mountains, like in the snow, and doing all your workouts and whatnot, and the, they look brutal, and um, was it the log carry last week, where you had to look, carry the log from the bottom to the top? Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> it looked hideous. <laughs> that was so heavy. <laughs> it's one of those where when you sat on the sofa watching it, you're like, yeah, I could do that, but yeah, I imagine it was hideous. It was hideous, and you know it. You're just constantly uphill. Yeah. And because it's a trail, obviously you you're obviously mountain biking. You know what trails are, and they, they there's loads of rocks, slippery rocks, and yeah, it's wet slippery mud, and it's hard to get a decent foot in. You know to to lift that log on your shoulder. Yeah. So you're constantly in battle of the terrain, as well as constantly on an incline. Okay. And uh, it just seemed never-ending. It's just a mind game because you don't know when they're going to tell us to stop. You don't know how high we've got to go until we Oh, uh, okay. Time. So they didn't tell you that, did they not? They were, you didn't know you were 20% of the way. It was just go to the top, but you had no idea where the top was. Yep, exactly. And uh, every time we, we get to, like, um, you know, it's, it kind of levels out at the top. You think you've made it, but no, you've got to keep going. And this, this, is the, this is, I think, the hardest thing about the whole the whole course is anticipation they never ever tell you what's happening next you're always guessing you're always unsure about what's going to happen and i i think that was the hardest thing to deal with on the show you know that after any task we'd come back uh on the truck we don't know where we're going we don't know if we're going back to base we don't know if we're going to get beasted again so you, you always need to have your wits about you yeah and it was so draining so draining and you know as well as limited food limited water you know hardly any sleep yeah it's just hard to keep it together and it's hard for tv to you know to show that yeah it's something you can't show you have to experience it so it's really interesting that because watching that you get the impression that you get a good eight hours sleep a night but it wasn't like that was it oh definitely not for the first three days i didn't sleep at all at all at all i maybe got 20 minutes shy and that was it oh my lord it's, it's because of the anticipation you you know you, right the, the very first night we got there uh lights out at 12 which is you know late anyway yeah you know we've already 10. done <laughs> yeah mine too <laughs> uh we've already done the cold water challenge we got beasted for hours yeah finally got into our beds lights out 12 you know some people were asleep i wasn't i was just thinking ah oh, 
what have I got myself into? <laughs> and an hour later, Aunt Middleton comes through, his, comes through the door, goes, wet kit, parade square, do not be late. Wow. So everyone's up, you know, because we're not used to this. We took, you know, took our time to get out because we're like, yeah, I remember in the episode, yeah, putting on your, you know, you're warm in bed and you got to get out and you put all that wet, cold kit on and you got to go out in the freezing cold at 1am and just get beasted for an hour. And you go back and you think, oh God, I don't want to go through that again. So you get back in your dry kit. Now, even... The transition between getting from your wet kit to your dry kit, taking your boots off, putting your boots on, all that just adds to being drained. You know, even going to the toilet, the toilets were not in the actual bunker we were staying in, and they were about 20 to 30 meters across the parade square. And you have to get dressed, you have to put your boots on, get out of the bunker run to the toilet, do the business, run back, and then take your shoes off and get back into bed. It's just a nightmare. Oh, yeah, it's not like you're just popping into the ensuite for a quick wee and then going back to bed. <laughs> no, that's right. You know what? It's interesting because watching the program, and don't get me wrong, it looks really difficult when you when you watch the program, but you don't get the impression that it's as hard as, obviously, it is, like, as you're telling it now. So uh, that sounds no, I, sounds brutal. It's, I'm not going to lie. It gets me excited and makes me want to apply, but it sounds brutal. <laughs> I think you should. Yeah. You know, I've always toyed with the idea. I think I might, I might have to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a lot harder than it looks and uh tv yeah. doesn't do it any justice to be honest for even just from the past kind of 10 minutes of you explaining it i would i would completely agree yeah it is you, hell you touched on the anticipation thing there and that's interesting because i'm quite into reading like books by military personnel and ex-military personnel and that kind of thing and i forget the book that it was but it was an ex-navy seal and he was talking about in their selection uh buds i think it's called and he was talking about how the most people would drop out on the breaks in between the like beasting sessions so let's say they've been i don't know doing press-ups in the sea for two hours and doing all that sort of stuff then they give them 10 minutes and then they go out and do another two hours obviously they wouldn't know how long they were doing he said that most people rung the bell, which was the equivalent of you handing your band in, not you personally, you know, you guys. Um, and he said that most people would ring the bell in the 10 minute breaks in between. And I thought that was really interesting. So like when you're doing it, you're just doing it. But then a lot of people would cave at the anticipation of doing it for the next bit. And it, it's kind of relevant to mountain bikers. I know all my listeners who are listening now will instantly think um, think back to rides. And I know, you know, if you're riding a mountain for the first time, you have no idea whether you're a third of the way up or if you're two thirds of the way up or if you're near the top. And like with you carrying that log up the mountain, you end up with loads of false summits where you think you get to the top and then you can yeah. see it rise up again. Like, oh, come on. Absolutely. <laughs> when, when you were on the way up, do you have things that you're saying to yourself or do, do you actively keep yourself motivated or is it a real just a real deep drive and um, that keeps you motivated what 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 goes on in your head when you're trying to just well you obviously are when you're keeping going like like on the log climbs a good example give up that went through my mind often just give up but you gotta keep reminding yourself while you're there you know what your drive is and it really is trying to become a better version of yourself. If you give up and you give in to those, you know, those voices in your head saying, oh, I don't need to do this, I don't need to prove anything. But if you persevere and get through it, at the top of that mountain, 
you know, this could be applied to anything. This could be applied, you know, to mountain biking especially. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to go for that jump because you're too scared. But when you do it, that feeling you get afterwards. Yeah. It's just magnificent. And you, you think, I did this. And you just get like a this, this fire burning inside you thinking, I'm burning with confidence now. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what it's about. It's just about beating your beating your mind, beating yourself and realizing what you're truly capable of. You know what's fascinating with that that you just said? And it's not because you're right when you were talking about what you were saying to yourself then or what your, almost your subconscious was saying to you, that little voice in your head. It's not that you're saying to yourself, I can't do this. I'm not tough enough. It's really interesting how your, your brain would try and talk you out of it by saying, I've got nothing to prove. I don't need to do this. I don't need to be here because that's that's different that that's not you know if I tell myself if my if my little voice in my head pops up and it's going you can't do this instantly it just gets shot down with yeah I can I know I can do it so if I'm on a climb and you start saying this hurts I can't do this like instantly my my brain just naturally shoots it down but that's a bit different that's almost like a bit of a sly way of your brain trying to talk you out of it by being like you don't need to be here you've got nothing to prove um it was just a matter of just keeping going was it yeah precisely um yeah as well you, you've got a team there you don't want to let down so it's not not just letting down yourself it would be letting down your teammates yeah uh, so that you know that brings a different dynamic uh, into it how much did obviously everything that you went through with your brother when when you were younger how much did that motivate you throughout the course massively mate to be honest that was the reason why i was there yeah um you know i wanted to do him proud and let him know that if he was looking down on me, he would smile and think, good effort, lad. Uh, you know that, what? He, he definitely would. Yeah, thank you, mate. I appreciate that. But that's what my life's about now. It's just about you know, constantly achieving things and, and fill that empty hole that's you know inside me. That you know, When you lose someone so close to you, it's so difficult to understand and you, you, just, you just go through so many different emotions and it's really hard to deal with. And the only time I, I I am happiest is when I'm achieving myself and <laughs> beasting myself, really, because you know afterwards I feel great. No, honestly, I think I think it's amazing. It really, really is. I mean, I um, I lost my. It's, it's no nowhere near as close as what you've been through. But the first person I lost was last not last summer, the summer before, which is my granddad. And I was fortunate that that was the first person close to me that ever died. And it was strange because it proper floored me. Like I wasn't expecting it to get to me at all, but it really did. And that's a, uh, you know, it's almost like a removed family because it's my granddad. You don't see him anywhere near as often as your brother. He's nowhere near as close. But I, I, I honestly can't imagine what it was like losing somebody so close here because I know how much I suffered losing my granddad. And that is someone who's not you know, not as close to you as your brother or whatever. So, no, good on you for getting your head up and just cracking he's on. Still, I know everybody. He's, I'm sorry to hear that, but he's still family, mate. And, uh, you know, th- there's no need to make comparison. Yeah, true. True. So I know for me personally, like, that was a big motivator for me, especially for MTB Fitness because my uh, so mtb fitness is all about helping your everyday rider get fitter faster and stronger so they can enjoy riding and enjoy the outdoors more and for me my granddad was one of the people that really got me into got me into uh hiking and getting into the outdoors he was a really keen bird watcher so every time we used to go up he used to live by the woods uh, and we would go out bird watching and getting out and looking at all and he really got me into the outdoors so kind of like what you said there about making your brother proud and you know wanting him to look down on you and say yeah you're doing good it's kind of similar for me 
saying that, my granddad loved the outdoors, so I feel proud and motivated to help other people enjoy the outdoors just like he did. So I think those real deep drivers really help when things do get tough and you're struggling. Absolutely. It, I, I, found, I have like a newfound energy from it, and uh, this energy can be dangerous. I could easily give up life as such, as dark as that sounds, but you have to use the energy in the right ways. And uh, it does really give you that edge to to achieve. I must admit. Definitely. I ima- did. You, I imagine that you struggled to use that energy in the right way at first, did you? And then obviously you started to to use it for things like your Ironman, and then onwards from there. Yeah, through you know, from a young age, after losing Travis, I went through. A, I went down the wrong path, getting up to no good, drinking too much. Um, I got into smoking. Um, you know. I had a, a stage of gambling and just little things that they're the easy things, you know, the easy way out. But the more you do those things, you, you start to realize that everything around you just starts breaking down. Whether it's relationships, uh, your job, um, you know, just weight, putting on weight, um, your health, everything just starts breaking down such a dangerous place to be in but it's really important that you really feed that energy in a positive way it's so powerful but you have to do it so do you have any kind of like weekly habits or daily habits that that keep you on track and make sure that you're keeping moving in the right direction do you do you actively do anything to you know to keep track of whether you're using that energy in the right way um i do have ups and downs but I yeah. think, you know, that's naturally a human yeah. instinct, really. Um, but going back to what I was saying earlier, um, you know, I have that personality all or nothing. I have yeah. to be committed to something. If I'm not committed to something, it will be all of something else. Yeah. So it's important that I, I drive, you know, positively and constantly make goals. I think goals are so important. Yeah. Even if it's small, you know, I I think small goals every month, for example, lead yeah. to big goals. You need yeah. to constantly have something to focus on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do you set goals? I totally agree with what you just said, like massively. Um, do you also set short? So you've said like you've got a monthly, let's say weight loss is a really good example. So you're like, right, I want to lose four stone. And then, right, every month I want to lose half a stone. Do you set yourself goals that are almost performance driven so right on a daily basis i need to train for an hour i need to eat three healthy meals a day and i need to sleep for eight hours a day do you set yourself goals around that as well or do you just tend to set yourself a goal that's an aim like complete the sas who dares wins or complete the iron man and then just aim towards that and just crack on it depends what you want to achieve i think if you you know it depends how big a goal it is because nutrition uh is a totally different animal um i really think that going through your your daily life is important to have a balanced you know some kind of balance involved uh with training family life seeing friends food your job it all needs to be balanced it can't be you know obsessive Uh, i think that that you know doing that i think uh, leads a happier lifestyle than sacrificing everything in your life just to do one thing I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Like, I, I do completely agree with you. I think a good way to look at it is almost being obsessive about getting that balance. So knowing what balance you want. So like, I meet both me and my girlfriend like work really long hours, but we also factor in time. So like Saturday night and Sunday is always our time together. So we're very, I, I know I personally am very obsessive about getting that balance right. So it's very much like, right, I'm going to work hard, but I'm also going to slot in a two hour ride here and an hour with Sophie, my girlfriend here. Uh, and I think you just need to be really conscious of it all because if not, you can set a goal of say the Ironman and you, you're right. You can just train all the time. And then the other thing, the other areas of your life start dropping off. Or if you're setting up a business, you can work all the time and the other areas like your health and your relationships and those sorts of things keep improve. keep dropping off well yeah they improve if you're doing the right things but i would also say that you know we've we've all seen people who set up a business saying work for 16 hours a day or 17 hours a day and then eat crap end up smoking or doing drugs on the weekend uh not looking after their relationships and they end up very one one faceted if you like uh, and yeah, i think that's the same really with agree. riding or not i think it's really important to keep everything in balance like like you've just said yeah totally agree um i remember this quote something like um what was it quote something like uh obsessive is a word the weak use oh, i can't remember what it was yeah i've heard i know i do know the quote you're on about uh obsessed is the word the you know what? I'm going to Google it while we're looking. <laughs> See if I can get it up quickly on my laptop. Yeah. Uh, obsessed. Something like obsessed is the w- is the word the weak is the word. I'm good typing it in now. There we go. Obsessed is the word the lazy use quote. Da, 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 da. It's getting there now. Obsessed is a word the lazy use to describe the dedicated. There you go. Yes. Yes. You know what? I'm going to use, I'm going to leave that open and that's going to be the tagline for this podcast uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like exactly. it. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think obsessed. Um, Go on. Yeah. You apply that quote to obviously what you were saying with um, the whole balance thing. Because, you, you know, you can't shut everything out in your life. You'll just become secluded and lonely and that kind of thing. Yeah. So if you obsess about, you know, being positive in all things in your life then uh definitely that that is definitely the key to unity anyway yeah i totally agree with that i completely agree so going off on a bit of a tangent i suppose from where we are now but i think there's been some fascinating fascinating things we've chatted about there i know my listeners will will agree when you were on the course did you find that there were some traits that those who did really well on the program and exceptionally well on the program had that the people who didn't do so well didn't have so were there any traits that the really successful people had that the less successful people shall we say didn't have yeah uh it was mindset and that stuck out a mile there was very fit guys and girls there you know that would wipe the floor with you know your average kind of i don't know sport enthusiast yeah and uh as the days went on they just started dropping like flies you just think why (laughs) just think why you you physically you're there but mentally they just didn't have it and it really is about digging deep and you know compartmentalize things you know this is you know this sucks you know we're cold we're starving but we can't wait to sleep but you've got to put that to one side 
and realize what you've got to get on with and you got to get on with the job you got to get on with beastings each task is just so mentally and physically draining you just know it's never gonna end until yeah. they break you and it's down to you to really not give in that armband yeah for sure and i think i know the people listening will be thinking exactly about applying this to mountain biking but it's the exact same thing and i get it when i'm on a ride like even today like we're we did a massive descent and then we're climbing up this road and it was the biggest headwind it was like 50 mile an hour like wind straight into you 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 felt like you're in the top gear when you were pedaling you'll have been there yourself on the road bike um and you felt like you're in the top gear when you're really in like the second gear up and it's so hard to spin your legs and you just you just gotta keep going haven't you like you can curse you can think about it you can think i want to stop why am i out here but as long as you think all those things while you're spinning the cranks and that's all right the main thing is just not to not to stop yeah you got it totally agree i think a lot of learning that mindset and uh, it'd be interesting to see if you agree just practice so i think the more you get out there and the deeper you learn to push yourself i think you do just get better at it don't you you do yeah practice does make perfect definitely um but there's there's one thing that i learned on the show and i did put this on my instagram uh yesterday and uh, i learned this very early on uh is that you know no matter what you come across each moment that is not in your hands you have to just simply let it evolve because you can't control the weather you can't control what they're getting you to do you just have to get on with it you know this could be applied to, to mountain biking definitely you could be out on a trail 15 miles from home and you you know you come up against boulders for example they're slippy you can't get past the only way you got the only way to get home is go through the boulders you just have to do it you just have to embrace the change and accept that you know this is going to be rough I love that and would you say that's the biggest lesson that you learned from the program then oh massively self-control and mindset it's all about self-discovery to be honest with you you know you set you know it's you set limits within yourself but when you conquer them you, you start to realize you know there's, there's more to me than this yeah i've got what it takes you know you just gotta let each moment evolve adapt and get on with it did you did you gain a lot of confidence from the beginning to the end it sounds like you did yeah as you can see from watching the program i was kind of portrayed as unconfident um shy which is you know semi right i would say uh but as you watch the next episode um hopefully um you see me kind of get stronger and stronger and i remember on the course i think got to about day six or seven and i really started to believe in myself i just felt like a different person you know i wasn't shy you know i was really confident and i was just had this fire burning inside me and uh yeah just really got on with it really and i hope it i hope it shows well in, in the program you know mate that is immense and you, I, me just talking to you right now it gets me fired up so i know the people listening will be getting fired up as well i love that i think that this is a really great high to almost end on but first we we talked about it briefly before we went live on air and uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what's next for you now uh, and just tell us we obviously got chatting about it a little bit before but I'd, I'd love for you to tell us all about that yeah absolutely um you know, getting on this show is a massive achievement, so it would be a shame to not do something with it. Um, so th there's a, a new charity called Strongman, 
and it's about um, men like me who have uh, suffered mental health issues through bereavement, you know, losing a loved one. And uh, when I was 15, I never really had any kind of charity like that to reach out to. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't speak to other people uh, so easy. So what this charity does is they they have this uh, non-profit organization and they set up an event. So people who have lost loved ones, uh, it has to be men between aged 18 and 55. And they can go to these events, they can talk to each other, talk about their issues and do something positive for themselves. It's about getting them out of the house and really going for it, doing something positive for the mind, something positive for the body and just build from there and just, because it really does set you back losing a loved one. So in order for this charity to work, they need money. And uh, I want, I'm doing a expedition Mont Blanc in July the 25th to July the 30th. Um, it's all booked. We've got a guide who's going to take us up Mont Blanc and uh, hopefully raise as much funds as we can to help people, you know, that are in my situation. So, I think yeah. that sounds, no, nah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, carry on. How were you? Um, so, yeah, hopefully uh, we raise as much money as we can. Um, it'll be, I'll be documenting the journey up to Mont Blanc, which will include um, training um nutrition you know all kind of things involved uh preparing for something like that and um because obviously the altitude is another animal yeah so you know training things like vo2 and that kind of thing will have a big impact yeah i'm doing the expedition and uh yeah it will all be posted on my instagram and there will be a charity fundraiser page that will be coming out on the last episode of SAS Who Does Wins. Ah, amazing. That's great. So it's all, everybody's kind of getting involved with it, are they? The, off the back of the program. Oh, not everybody, uh, but. Yeah, the people doing it is myself, my brother, who's ex-army, similar situation what I'm in. Uh, recruit number six, Mark Peart. Uh, you'll find more about him next episode. And also one of the DS, Ollie Ollerton, who has helped founded the chariot itself so it's a private tour with a guide so it should be uh should be good amazing so the fundraiser for that where us guys can donate is going to go live in the last episode is it last episode of who does wins and it will be um advertised on my instagram and also there'll be a url link you can uh, go straight to and donate if you want to Oh, great. So probably the best thing off the bat, the best bet off the back of this podcast then is for me to link up your Instagram. Everybody who listens to this podcast to go follow you on Instagram and then we can keep an eye out for the link. I'll definitely donate. Just if I miss it, just do me a favor and uh, send me a message when the link's out and I'll post it out to my group and my followers and on here as well. Because I think that it's a great cause. It sounds amazing. So I'll, I'll be more than happy to help share, you know, help to get it out there. Um, so the best bet is to wait for that URL to go live, is it? absolutely yeah wicked so everybody needs to go follow uh follow it's well you can tell us what the uh what the handle is but go follow milo on instagram and then we'll all watch out for that url to go live so what is your instagram handle it's milo.makin which is uh m-a-c-k-i-n Perfect. Well, what I'll do, I'll link that in the description as well so everybody can go follow Milo. Uh, Milo, would you like to end on anything? Would you like, you know, if you've got a last sentence that you want to end with? 
Yes, uh, sign up next year. Who dares wins? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to come out with something for the audience and you've just put me on the spot instead. <laughs> <laughs> no, with regards to the audience. I'm only joking, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. But with, with regards to the audience, just want to say, you know, never, ever give up because anything is achievable if you really apply yourself. It's about getting out there and doing it. No excuses, just do it. I love that. I think that's an absolutely fantastic high to end on. So everybody listening, make sure you go and follow Milo. Uh, Milo, thanks so much for getting on the podcast, mate. It's been great meeting you over Skype. Uh, Hopefully we can keep in touch in the future. And thanks so much for coming on, mate. Yeah, likewise. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy. See you next time. Cheer up. Hey podcast and welcome back. I told you today was a great episode. I hope you really, really enjoyed that. I know after I was uh, done chatting to Milo, I felt motivated and fired up, but on kind of a deeper level as well. He's obviously got such an inspiring story. Uh, Milo, if you're listening to this, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, No, it was awesome. I personally would love to help the charity out. I'm sure everybody who's listened to that podcast would as well. Make sure you go follow Milo on Instagram. And then when the link is up there for everybody to donate and get involved, I'll get it out there on my social media as well. I'll put it in the Facebook group and things like that. Um, But to you, the listener, thank you so much for checking in again. It's been great doing the podcast with you. Uh, The volume should be better on this episode. I've been trying to get it right. So do drop me a DM on Instagram or an email to matt at mtb.com fitness i'd like a bit of feedback on the sound quality if you can um so yeah thanks so much for listening go follow milo on instagram feel free to excuse me feel free to leave a review uh, and to subscribe to the podcast if you want to keep up to date with all the weekly episodes and i will speak to you soon that was episode seven of the mtb fitness podcast see you next week